always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey folks, welcome to Green and Growing. I'm so glad you're here with me early on a Saturday morning here with you until 9 o'clock this morning and we will certainly get back to calls, but this is an interview I've been working on for a little bit. Joanne Goldenberg, who is the owner of Dahlonega's Butterfly Farm. That sounds like it's going to be a fascinating and fun place to visit and to bring the family. She's on with me now to tell us a little bit about the Butterfly Farm, its history, and how you can be a better butterfly gardener if you want to attract them to your own landscape. Joanne, good morning. Hi, good morning, Ashley. This is amazing work that you're doing because according to your website, the Dahlonega Butterfly Farm, just a vision for sustainable futures and a mission to preserve the biodiversity of the environment. So in order to do that, we have to educate people, make sure they understand nature and how we can all live together. And of course, butterflies and caterpillars are so essential to a lot of the ecosystem, you know, workings that we may or may not understand. So I want to ask you first, how did you come up with this idea and when did you start the farm? Well, you know, I've always been an environmentalist ever since I was a little kid, probably seven or eight years old. And um, I really just wanted to do something great for the environment. Um, I've loved plants. Uh, My secret place was always my garden. Uh, So a lot of people don't know I used to work in corporate America. I did that for about 20 years, and I just always loved to get home, get off work, and get into my garden. And um, as I got older, I realized that I wanted to do something that made a difference. And butterflies are just a great way to teach people about um, the importance of our pollinators and also the things we can do, you know, to plant native plants and, and things like that. You've got eight acres up there in Dahlonega and an almost 800-square-foot butterfly conservatory, which I've been into one, I think, in Houston years and years ago when I was a teenager. But tell folks what that is and what they can expect when they go into the conservatory. Yes, as you said, it's an 800-square-foot conservatory. We usually house about 150 uh, domestic butterflies in there. And when guests go in, they get uh, what we call a nectar stick, a little stick that has nectar, and they get to actually go and feed a butterfly. Um, It's a very tropical greenhouse. There's all kinds of perennials and tropical plants in there, and it's just a beautiful uh, greenhouse conservatory to to go into. It's quite inspiring for people who've never been in one. And I think at first it may freak some folks out, you know, who who, do, who think they don't like insects. Mm-hmm. When a butterfly lands on you, it's kind of like, oh, oh gosh. But then you get used to it. And by the time you leave the conservatory, it feels so neat that it's so interactive. Something I learned about opening this is there are actually people that have a fear of butterflies. And there are some children that go in, they start crying, and I think it's, uh, there's a lot of stimulation with butterflies flying around their head. And it's very up close. And Uh, When you're that close, like you said, to insects, some people just fear flying insects, and if they land on them, it's it's another experience. But um, typically, I would say 99% of the people that go in, they just love it, and by the end of their time, they have butterflies crawling on them. You know what's funny? I just had to Google that, Joanne, because there's a phobia for everything, right? So I wondered if that was uh-huh. actually a thing, and it is. Let's see if I can even say it right. Lepidoptera phobia <laughs> means uh-huh. an irrational fear okay. of yes. butterflies well, or moths. Okay, yeah, Lepidoptera is the family. That's 
That's a true thing, and I didn't know that, like I said, until I opened opened the farm. But there are some people that are just in terror yes. <laughs> to, to be that close to butterflies. Well, those have to be the luckiest butterflies in North Georgia around all the tropical plants and the nectar and the things that they're attracted to. When did you start this, and how soon can folks start enjoying it? Well, we opened the farm um, in 2019 in June, which was about eight months before the pandemic. And, um, of course, that wasn't the best time to open a business. Um, we, we did have to close during the pandemic season because I lost all of my school tours and senior groups um, in 2020. But uh, we're back on track. We had a really great season last year. We had about 5,000 tours, and uh, we're opening today. So April 23rd, we're opening at 10 a.m. That's fun. And if people want to find out more, they can visit DahlonegaButterfly.com. And I want to ask you just for your average gardener who observes things when they're out in the garden or out in the yard, um, how do they identify caterpillars? And this may sound like a dumb question, but do all caterpillars eventually become butterflies? Those are great questions. The best way to identify caterpillars is to look at what it's eating. So every caterpillar or every species of butterfly and every species of moth has a different plant that they must lay their eggs on. So that's such an important thing to know about butterfly gardening. Um, If you plant their specific host plants, which is what we call them, those butterflies will find their host plants, the females will lay eggs, and then you get caterpillars. For instance, if many people know if you plant milkweed, you will get monarchs. If you plant parsley and fennel and dillweed, you will end up getting black swallowtails. So every butterfly has its own specific plant, and no two are the same. And that actually helps the biodiversity of our environment, and it's really the only way nature works. The second question, they all become butterflies and moths. They all, yes, all caterpillars go through metamorphosis. So you mentioned milkweed for the monarchs, and we know them to be the black and orange butterfly, uh, parsley and fennel for black swallowtails, which are beautiful. And they have a lot of blue on them too, right, Joanne? Yes, they do. They have a lot of blue on the tail wings. Pawpaw trees are another great host plant. Um, Those are for the zebra swallowtails, which happen to be a threatened species in Georgia. So if you want to attract that butterfly, you need to plant a pawpaw tree. Nice. All right. And for folks who may be doing apartment or condo dwelling or in the city and they don't really have, you know, an opportunity to plant trees or shrubs or even maybe, you know, a plant or two, what is a way that they can attract butterflies? Anybody in a small space can still be a butterfly gardener. They just need to uh, plant some nectaring plants. Uh, So when you think of butterfly gardening, you always want to have two types of plants. You want to have those nectar plants, which are the pretty flowering plants, and then you want to have the host plants. Um, as, as we just talked about. Now, some of the nectaring plants would be uh, coneflower, uh, black-eyed Susan, sunflowers, verbena, um, and there's quite a few small plants you could put in uh, planters and, and on a patio. Making sure a sunny spot and maybe a small water puddle. So what do they do with a water puddle, Joanne, that you may maybe put rocks at the bottom or pebbles? Well, we call that a puddling pond, and that's where the butterflies drink water. And people think, oh, they don't, they don't drink water, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Every animal drinks water. So the reason we call it a puddling pond is they can't get their wings wet. So we need to put rocks and maybe some mud or some salt in the puddling pond, 
And that way when they step on the rocks, they can just get their proboscis uh, down into the water and take a drink. They can't land directly in the water like uh, hoverflies and things like that. And aside from the conservatory, which is what we've been talking about with Joanne Goldenberg, who owns Dahlonega Butterfly Farm, uh, what else is there to do on the property? Eight acres, that's a lot. Well, it's a work in progress. I have a a pretty large pollinator garden. It's about a one-acre-sized pollinator garden. And in that garden, you will see caterpillars. We do raise butterflies here. Uh, Raised about um, 700 last year. And I hope to continue raising more and more butterflies every year. I also have a sunflower field with, um, we just planted about 400 sunflowers this week. Beautiful. And the rain should be helping. Also, I just added a wildflower trail this year. So the wildflower trail is on another acre. Fingers crossed that my wildflowers come up. It's my first time doing a wildflower field. So we'll see how that works. And what's the time of year folks should expect to see the wildflowers? Do you have them to where they're seasonal, or is it mostly going to come on maybe September, October? Yeah, well, for my first year, I did plant a combination of annuals and perennials. Of course, the annuals will will be there this year since it's the first season. But by next season, the perennials will start to take off. Um, They can take two years to, to get established. And those perennials will really be beautiful by next year. Gardens are meant to grow, so by next year it should be beautiful. Perfect. And one more question for you, too, for parents who are poking around, you know, summer's coming up and we want to keep the kids outside and engaged and active. Uh, They're poking around the Internet looking at those butterfly garden kits. Um, I don't know a lot about them personally. I kind of remember maybe doing one when I was a kid. But what do you say about those? Mm -hmm. Are those a good idea for kids to start learning? Are they safe? Yeah, I think it's a a good beginner's way to learn about metamorphosis. and, And it's pretty fascinating for the kids. It definitely will get them involved. But um, if you don't want to spend money, I think the other way is to just go outside in the garden and start looking at things up close, you know, look at leaves, um, look for caterpillars, and just start exploring the outdoors. Joanne, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, folks can look to say hi to you as you open today. Congratulations. And they can buy tickets or find out more at DahlonegaButterfly.com. Congratulations. And this is going to be a big year for you. Sure hope so. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, folks, stay tuned because when we come back, it's the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. Stay right here. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Thank you, Scott Slade. Happy to be here with you this morning, 623, early on a Saturday. It's going to be a warm day. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing, a high in the mid-80s today. Sunny skies, very warm, a low of only 60 degrees. And then tomorrow, mostly sunny skies. Again, highs in the mid-80s, and we're uh, welcoming in the week once again, maybe with some scattered showers as soon as Tuesday. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. It was hard to narrow down to three. Three things to do today, but here they are. Number one, you can start to think about pruning spring-blooming shrubs like forsythia and quince and early spirea. Those are a lot of the very early things to start blooming late February, early March. Once they are done flowering, that's when you need to prune them. And keep that in mind with azaleas since they're spring-blooming. Same goes for them. Once the blooms start to fade and you think the azalea's finished, that is the time you prune an azalea after it's done blooming. If you wait too much longer, say, 
you know, July, August, it's already started to set buds for next spring. That plant holds on to those buds for a good seven months and uses all that energy to put on the pretty show that it does in the spring. So uh, that's a pruning tip for you for an azalea. Number two, plant to attract hummingbirds. We just talked to Joanne about planting for butterflies, which is cool, but hummingbirds, same thing, bright colors, things with nectar. This uh, came from the Cherokee County Master Gardener Group. Trees to consider are maybe buckeye or apple, crabapple, hawthorn, redbud. Redbuds are beautiful trees and tulip poplar. Uh, Shrubs that you could think about for hummingbirds. Red and bottle brush buckeye, rhododendrons, azaleas, and rosemary. And number three, thin young fruits of apples, pears, peaches within 25 days of the peak bloom. And then when you think about thinning out fruits, you leave four to seven inches between the fruit just to ensure larger, healthier fruit. You don't want things to get crowded in on the limb. 404-872-0750 is the number to Green and Growing to talk to me this morning. I'm happy to uh, answer your questions, take your calls, and I want to know what's on your mind, too. There's so much going on. This is a great time of year. Uh, Yesterday was Earth Day, so I have a couple of uh, Earth Day-related things for you throughout the show today. A couple of cool things about recycling stories that I've done along the way here in recent months and interesting people doing some really interesting things that I want to share with you. And coming up at 7.30, so about an hour from now, we'll have Jeff Roth and Rafael Santiago from Premier Tree Solutions. You hear me talk about ShopMyTree.com. They'll be in studio, and they'll be answering your tree health questions. So if there's a tree that you just need it looked at, you're not sure if it needs to be taken down or not, it's got something funny on it that may be giving you some indication that something's wrong, or maybe insects is the problem. Uh, Raphael on staff is a certified arborist. So coming up from 7.30 to 9, the second half of the show, they'll be able to help steer you in the right direction. And then uh, looking to talk to Pike Nursery at 8.30, as we do every Saturday morning, talking about container garden tips and tricks. So again, 404-872-0750. And speaking of yesterday being Earth Day, you know, we have a lot of friends around Metro Atlanta that are hosting Earth Day activities today. Things you can get involved in. Trees Atlanta is a great organization that's very active this weekend and, and always really throughout the year. The Dunwoody Nature Center has some cool things for you and for the kids. Uh, this is not Earth Day related, but why not get out this weekend? The weather's going to be beautiful. I think the Taste of Marietta, that's happening tomorrow on the Marietta Square. That's always a fun event. And anything you're ever looking for, something to do around town. It doesn't even have to be a weekend. I try to keep a a pulse on things going on during the week, too, for those that want to take classes or thinking about when the kids are out of school. Visit my website. When you go to wspradio.com slash green and growing, that'll bring you to the show page there. And when you scroll all the way to the bottom, it's events, garden events, classes, garden opportunities. Um, And I take pride in kind of keeping that list up to date of things going on. And if your organization has an event happening that you would like to share with others, you can certainly email it to me and I'll add it to the list. So wsbradio.com slash green and growing for some of the events going on around town and around Metro Atlanta this weekend. All right, when we come back, a little bit about a really fascinating process, recycling glass in Cherokee County and your calls 404-872-0750. It's green and growing on WSB. It's 
Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, welcome to the show. 6.36 on a Saturday morning. You are listening to Green and Growing whether you like it or not, until 9 o'clock this morning, followed by Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It Show. I think you like it. Um, I really, really love hearing all of your input and uh, nice, you know, well wishes and things for the show on Facebook. So do like the Facebook page. When you search Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB. Follow the page. I post uh, multiple times throughout the week. And I had to go back in my photo album to August of 2020. And that is when I had a visit with news anchor Sandra Parrish, who you just heard, to her mountain house. And here she is in studio. We're together on a Saturday morning. I know. Good morning. Good morning. So it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. No, it doesn't. And you had beautiful things in the garden all throughout the landscape back in August. And here we are a little bit different time of year. But I'm thinking all of the things that I saw in bloom in your garden and in your landscape back in August probably are prime things to start planting now for uh, folks to start thinking about those things right now to enjoy those blooms throughout the summer and just kind of scrolling through uh, your crepe myrtles were looking fantastic which we know those haven't bloomed yet mandevilla i think you have really good luck getting that trellising vine do you do that every year so yeah so i have the same one that i've had i guess going on the fourth summer now and it's still sitting on my sun porch although i said when i get home today (laughs) it's going outside it's time i've got another um one of those huge philodendron that's going to go outside today i've had it it was my mother's who passed away um gosh about six years ago and so that thing is humongous and so I have both of those in these huge pots and so they'll be going outside and my irises are waking up I looked out the door um, yesterday well before I went to bed really early last night but they're just beautiful right now all different colors my peonies are getting ready to bloom that's exciting for folks that don't know a peony plant I used to be intimidated by them because I thought they were so intimidating and they were so particular And I popped two in the ground years ago from Pike. One survived, one didn't. I don't know what was different because they're in the same bed. But you're right. Like those are when you're at the nursery, you see these like wire rings that have Mm -hmm. like a grid through them. And it has little stems, like little legs. That's a peony ring. And a lot of folks use those because they kind of can get tall and and leggy. But the bloom opens so large that it's heavy on the stem. So having a peony ring there to stabilize it. But you're right. The buds right now just look like they are ready to explode. And you know, if they have ants on them, that is a good thing. That's what gets them to open. Interesting. I I learned that later in life. And, you know, used to I would like flick them off. (laughs) No, you need those to open those blooms. They need to be there. All right. So and I wanted to ask you, too, about bringing those things. And this is on Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener's Checklist, as a matter of fact, for this time of the year, is starting to bring those houseplants out. So you mentioned a philodendron. Um, You were able to overwinter the mandevilla in a pot inside. So when you're thinking about bringing those things out, A, are you only doing it twice a year? Is it just kind of a move them once to bring them in, move them? Because pots, I mean, a lot of listeners, yeah, they don't want to deal with that. Right. They're very heavy. And so I do. I wait, um, you know, because I'm up in the mountains, it's a little bit later for us. You know, we I just had to make sure that we don't have any more threats of frost. And so those babies are going out there when I get home today. 
And just a reminder for folks, too, because I think I moved my pineapple plant outside from it was in an eastern facing window in the office. It stayed great. It grew really large during the winter time, but I moved it out a little too quickly. So when you're thinking about those house plants and things that you want to move outside, uh, be careful not to put them in direct sunlight right away because you will start to see some of the leaves, especially like a philodendron or a house plant like that. You'll start to see some of the leaves maybe get a canker look on them or they may start to yellow just a little bit or even a slight curl. And don't be fearful of that. I don't think it means anything fatal for the plant, but that's the plant's way of telling you, oh, the sunlight's a little too bright. So kind of ease them out there. You know, maybe put them in an area a little shaded by the house, then a few days later, slowly start to move them out. But right into bright direct sunlight is going to be pretty. uh, And with highs in the mid-80s today? Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Now, I want to show you the picture that this was a new plant to you. Yes. I call it I call it the grumpy plant, and I, to the life of me, I can't remember. It's it's grump, like grumpfina. Grumpfina. Maybe? That sounds familiar yeah, when I you said it. I just call it the grumpy plant, but that it is, is a cute coolest plant. plant. Now it is an annual. Okay, but it has these cute little pom pom purple like pom pom flowers on it, almost like little buttons. Yeah, and that was an annual, and you just planted it, and then it dies back. And yep. do you think you're going to put it in the landscape again? Um, I think I will. Okay. I found them at Lowe's. Well, Lowe's and LJ, but I, Lowe's does carry them. Gumfrina. Gumfrina. I, I like the grumpy plant. That's yeah. really cute. And one more question, too. I remember in your August landscape, uh, you had really good luck with Gerber daisies, right? Yes. Um, those are really colorful, daisy-like, obviously, for folks who, who don't know, but bigger than a daisy, and they can come in every different color. Uh, what's your recommendation on those? Because that is a good... Flower to have in the landscape, but it makes a nice cut flower, too. Yeah, it does. Well, I also have Shasta daisies, too. Okay. And so I have, I have several varieties. Um, Gerber, you know, stick it out there. It likes sunlight, so okay. just stick it out there. And my sister just gave me some, so I just hmm. I have those out there right now. And you just have good luck with them. You don't feel like they're particular? No. Okay. No. <laughs> See, that's one that I just have had, I've not had good luck with. But it could have been I did it in a container on the back deck, and I just feel like maybe it wasn't getting the right drainage. So if it stays too wet, most plants don't like wet feet. So before you put things in pots, this is a good conversation we're having, Sandra, because it's a good reminder, again, for folks to make sure when you're buying all these, you know, this cool pottery and stuff, and you want to decorate the deck or the patio or whatever, make sure to drill holes in those pots. That's so important. And some rocks in the bottom. Yep, that That could be good, too. That way you ensure drainage. So maybe that was my problem with the Gerber Daisy. It just wasn't draining. And I, here I am diagnosing it two years later. I wish I'd saved myself the trouble and figured it out back then. So well, I love your passion for the landscape and the mountain house. And you've got so many just beautiful opportunities for things going up there. And uh, how are the grapes doing? Grapes are good. Okay. I have pruned them back and I have big hopes. I need to get some netting, though. I'm going to mm-hmm. get some netting. And you have to get the right kind. You don't want it where it's too big, where the birds can get caught in it. So I've yeah. got to find some mesh okay. to go on. We have a terrible time with deer. And oh, so, yeah. And bears. We had a bear just this week. <laughs> You're so. For folks who don't follow Sandra on Facebook, she posts like ring doorbell type video yep. of bear. They're just right up at your back door. No they big deal while you're right asleep. They're right up at the back door. Uh, last Well, summer before last, we were actually eating dinner on the deck, and the bear came up while we were eating dinner. I guess he, I guess it smelled so good on the grill that he uh, 
So who's more scared? Out. Is he more scared realizing y'all were there or y'all yeah. panicked seeing him there? The, well, I mean, I think we're, <laughs> I think we're mostly surprised. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool. But, but you black feel bears like you had to... are scared. Like okay. they, they totally differ from a grizzly bear. Black so you, bears are scared. You didn't feel like you had to like run and scramble inside. He was going to no. eat you. No. no, I mean, I just made a lot of noise. After okay. I got the pictures, yeah. I just made a lot of noise and he went away. So he just... Came up the steps, came up the like steps, no big deal. Came on the deck, not, like no big deal. Now, kind he of, was a younger bear. The one that came has come, we've had one this week and one about three weeks ago. Gosh. And I don't know if it's the same bear. It's a much larger bear. <laughs> but um, he hasn't come, well, he's he's come overnight, so yeah. not when we were out there. So Isn't that something? probably a good thing. He didn't get his invite to dinner. He was just gently reminding you. But, you know, we don't put out bird feeders. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sad because the hummingbirds are around. So. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. But, I mean, you've tried your hand at it and you just know what works and what doesn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, why spend money on bird seed when it's just going to be knocked over and a nice squirrel-proof feeder that then just going to be broken by the bears? Right. Yeah. And, you, you know, they always say a, a fed bear is a dead bear. So you don't want to you don't want to be feeding them where they become a nuisance. That's Gosh, that's a good reminder. Good reminder. Well, Sandra, thank you for popping in here yeah, today. You're welcome. It's good to catch up with you. Yeah. I probably probably should come visit if I could a different to. time of year and that way get a different perspective. Yeah, I'm thinking like maybe towards the end of May. Oh yeah, and the grapevines will be going pretty well at that yeah. point. For those of you who, you know, I'm sitting here showing Sandra pictures of her yard back 2 years ago and you can't see them. So what I may do is kind of refresh that photo album of the sure. pictures I took of your landscape, show folks, you know, what it looked like in August, but give them some ideas. This is what you could be planting now to have these blooms and these beautiful plants. And if you're in a little bit, you know, further north Georgia, a little bit cooler climate like Sandra said, you are a little behind the planting times for those of us here in metro Atlanta, but fingers crossed, we're, we're past that last frost. We're so close to May, I can feel it. Yes, exactly. So, thank you, Sandra, You're for welcome. stopping in. Good to have you here on a Saturday morning. Thank you. All right, 404-872-0750 to get through to green and growing, and we'll talk to Tim and Marietta. He's up first on the show. Hey there, Tim. Hi. What's your question uh, for me this morning? My question is, I'm a new composter uh, for the garden, and I've uh, heard the green grass clippings are good uh, to include in the compost. But I do have a lawn service that treats my lawn with fertilizer and herbicides and all that standard uh, lawn treatment. And I've heard, I've seen somewhere where people say that that taints your grass clippings, you should not put that in the compost pile because that'll later on that compost will hurt your plant. I've seen other places that say that, uh, you know, the commercial herbicides used in uh, suburban lawns is not that strong and it dissipates and it's, you know, grass clippings are fine for the compost. So what do you think? Now, I can't speak to, you know, the um, strength of what commercial landscapers use versus just you and I going to the big box store and, and buying our own herbicides. But as far as herbicides living in those grass clippings and affecting the rest of the compost pile, that is absolutely true. It takes herbicides so long to break down, even Mm. with the heat. I mean, a compost pile can get 100 to 140 degrees when it really starts working. That's still not enough to, to break down those chemicals. So I would avoid that altogether. Now, what you can do with grass clippings, it's not a total waste. Um, Do not use them in the compost pile if they've been treated with any herbicides. But as folks are mowing, if you're mowing your own lawn or maybe the landscape service, we had this discussion with Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia, a turf grass specialist. It is best to let those grass clippings fall back on the grass. Don't bag them. They provide such good high values of nitrogen back to the soil that it keeps lawns happy. So that way, 
you know, you're not wasting the grass clippings and you save yourself the trouble of having to empty the bag every few passes. So that's something you could do with them instead. Okay. Well, that's what I did before I started composting, so I'll keep that up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you right. know, if, you, if you've got a plant that's just died, um, you know, maybe an annual that it was just time for it to, it's reached its peak, those are the kind of greens that you can throw in the compost pile, Tim. Think about those uh, kitchen scraps, whether it's pieces of onion or celery mm-hmm. or lettuce that's gone bad, so that way you can still get your greens in and just not be using grass. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Great question. Thanks for calling. 404 872 When we come back, a trip up to Cherokee County in a recycling center doing some really cool things with glass that uh, you don't want to just throw in the trash. We'll be back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. I've got so many things for you on tap that I'm having trouble juggling it all. So my visit to the Cherokee County Recycling Center and uh, and schooling you on a thing or two about how you can recycle glass, that may have to wait. Some of you may remember hearing it a few months ago, but I wanted to bring it back because yesterday was Earth Day. But coming up at 7 o'clock, first, I want to uh, introduce you to a nonprofit born out of Charm, the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials. My conversation with its executive director, Peggy Whitlow Radcliffe. Boy, my interview with her will really give you a different way and a different perspective of looking at things, everyday items that you think you no longer have a use for. Okay, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today and tomorrow, we're looking at sunny skies. It's going to be a really pleasant weekend. Highs in the mid 80s, so don't forget that sunscreen. Green, green, and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. I think I'm going to make a a last minute call an audible on this top three list. Uh, Number one, I think I'm going to add this to what I did 30 minutes ago. Um, Visit the nursery this weekend. Go to the nursery this weekend. Now is a great time to start shopping for beautiful, colorful summer annuals. And go ahead and just, I mean, shop until your heart's desire. Pick out what you want. Think about what you want in those empty pots and containers that just overwintered and they look awful. Get some potting mix and freshen up those uh, those pots and containers before you put some things in. Maybe your mailbox is looking a little drab, so you can think about some vining things like Morning Glories or Mandevilla. Sandra and I just talked about something cool for the mailbox, even a small little lantana that would attract butterflies. There's so many options. So that's my number one for you. Uh, number two, you can start to think about pruning spring-blooming shrubs like forsythia and quince and early spirea. Those are some of the earliest things that started to flower back in late February, early March. Once they've completed flowering, you are good to prune them if you need to reduce the size or what have you. And number three, plant to attract hummingbirds. Again, picking things out at the nursery. Anything with bright colors, trumpet vine can go a little crazy, but that is one of my favorites if you can keep it contained. And the Cherokee County Master Gardeners gave some suggestions for trees and shrubs. Uh, Trees like buckeye, crabapple, hawthorn, tulip poplar, some shrubs to consider if you want to attract the hummingbirds. Bottle brush, buckeye, rhododendrons, azaleas, and rosemary. And I've got some great rhododendrons alongside the driveway, and they're kind of in the azalea family. Those flowers look similar, but they've got much larger clusters of flowers. 
and they're going to open really, really soon. So they fall in line right behind the azaleas. And you're looking at your azaleas, and some of the uh, blooms are starting to fade, which is really, really sad. It's a little bit of a bummer. But don't be too tempted yet to prune those. Cut back the azaleas once they're completely finished blooming. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I've got Encore. I've got Encore azaleas. They bloom a number of times. Uh, They'll put out one flush and then another. But any pruning just needs to be done in between those times when they bloom. So keep that in mind. 404-872-0. Every time I say the number, it doesn't sound right, but it is. 404-872-0750. We'll talk to Bill in a few minutes as well. A question about what to spray on a peach tree, any kind of insecticide that may be safe to use for home orchards, and more of your calls when we come back as well. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB.